Hello and welcome to Impact Ed. I'm H.D. Chambers with A. Leaf Independent School District in the Houston area. Today I'm being joined by three ladies whose professional uh, career uh, involves the counseling, and that's a big word, but the counseling of, of high school students in the A. Leaf Independent School District, and specifically at Taylor High School. I'm going to let them introduce themselves in one second, but to, just to kind of set some context behind today's topic, uh, there's, there's no question, no matter where you are, uh, whether you're in the Houston area, whether you're in A-Leaf, Texas, United States, or across the globe for that matter, that school violence and school safety and issues that have to do with the protection of children and, and adults in our, in our public schools, uh, while it's always been on the forefront, it just seems like in the last 12 months when you go back to the Parkland shooting and then the Santa Fe here uh, last spring, that this issue of school safety has, has emerged and then with it even more powerful the issue of, of uh, mental health and a, a student, young man, young woman, young, you know, young adult, uh, you know, the, the, the things that, that they're bringing to school with them that in many cases we have no control over. So we thought today in light of the season, uh, and, and this is a, a high anxiety part of the season for many, many people for a lot of different reasons, and, uh, and a lot of people are depressed and, and get upset at this time of the year. So we thought it would be very helpful to bring these three experts into the area as it relates to the counseling. Uh, and again, I use that term very loosely because there's so many things that fall underneath it, uh, these three ladies. So I'm going to introduce uh, the director of counseling for the entire A-Leaf Independent School District, Ms. Tyra Walker, and ask her to, to, to quickly uh, introduce herself. And then I'm going to allow uh, Kendra Harver and Lori Gerville to, to introduce themselves as they're, as they're uh, in their capacity. So welcome and thank you, ladies, for, for participating in this. Tyra? Hi, I'm Tyra Walker, and I am fortunate to be the Director of Counseling for Ailey ISD. In Ailey, we have about 130 counselors um, for our 46 schools, and uh, we have a lot of different needs. Our kids are, most of our kids are at risk. So um, based on some of the different life experiences that they have encountered, it does require a lot of counseling and a lot of mental health concerns. So between our counselors, our partnerships with CIS and CYS, which is Communities and Schools and Community Youth Services, um, we're trying to tackle a lot of the concerns that our students have. Thank you. And, and the next two ladies, I'll let them introduce themselves. They are actually in the trenches every day working with, with students, high school students, uh, not that Tyra hasn't, but in her role in directing and serving as a leader of our entire counseling department, uh, I think it's going to be really important to hear the perspective from from those in our school. So, uh, Kendra, I'll start with you and, and let you introduce yourself and just kind of give a an overview of what you see uh, where we are right now. Then we'll get into some details of. Okay, um, Kendra Harver. I'm at Taylor High School, and my job is to. Um, meet with students, talk to them about their grades, credits, and post-secondary goals, as well as address any issues at home or at school that may be hindering them from being successful. Um, and we do. Lately, there's been a lot going on, and we have had to um, have some serious conversations with our students about what's going on at home and at school. So this is a very serious topic, and I'm glad we're addressing it today. Thank you. Hi, my name is Lori Gazal. I'm the Career and Technology Counselor at Taylor as well. 
Um, and a uh, majority of the time when I talk to students about their careers, a lot of times personal life comes in. Um, and so we do a lot of counseling as far as um, where they see themselves, how to get there with what they're dealing with currently and what they've dealt with in the past. So i um, glad to be here. Thank Good. you. Well, thank you. Like I said, that the more of you and the less of me will be a, a much better <laughs> a much better episode and, and much more pro- and, and more productive. Uh, Tyra, if you don't mind, just to set the stage, most listeners knew what a school counselor, they knew who their counselor was, and they kind of had an idea uh, of what their their job was. But could you give a perspective of just a handful of the responsibilities that we expect a counselor, in this particular case in high school, from, from Ailey's perspective, what we expect out of our counselors? Oh, <laughs> that role has expanded. Um, always a lot of legislation that comes through that um, eventually – becomes a responsibility of counselors. One thing um, that as we look at the role of counselors, one of the reasons why it's expanding is because when you look at non-classroom staff, there are not that many non-classroom staff other than administrators and counselors. So, And we do have a few instructional specialists, but we want them in the classroom. So a lot of those additional roles become um, responsibilities. Um, individual counseling and planning for students um, working with students to actually administer and oversee um, testing and assessments, um, providing counseling to students who have any type of concerns. And those concerns are going to range. Um, And on any given day, um, dealing with those what's called responsive services. And that's those immediate needs of students um, when they are upset. The big thing is um, making sure they graduate on time. That means making sure they pick the right courses, planning for post-secondary, what they want to do with their lives on the final end. So you plan backwards to see what that career is going to be and making sure that we give them everything they need along the way to be able to be successful. And um, as well, starting at the earlier ages, we're having to make sure that we build those intrinsic skills within those students, both social and emotional, to make sure that they're stable. So there's a lot involved um, with educating students today and making sure that all of their needs are met and being able to not only secure them in our environment, but also prepare them to be secure in the environment once they leave our buildings is um, paramount. That's all y'all do? And that's the abbreviated version of what we do. I could keep going. Exactly. So, so I want to I'm going to ask both Lori and Kendra to to expand upon this, but this notion of the perception of what a counselor in our schools does, unless you're one of them, unless you see it day to day, then there's probably no clue. And Tyra just rattled off anywhere from the day to day drama that's been there forever, right? girlfriend boyfriend issues all all that all that good stuff uh to actually and I heard her say arranging for testing which uh, to the common average person who's not been in this profession say why in the world would someone be responsible for testing when they're so if you don't mind and, and it doesn't matter which one of you guys goes first talk a little bit about those responsibilities and then weave in when do you have time to deal with these serious issues of of mental health how does that impact you and maybe when does that show up and then how do you what happens at that point so whoever wants to go first 
Okay. Um, Lori's going to try. I will. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) um, Every day is um, almost unplanned. You never know what's going to come into your office on a daily basis. So um, we do have a lot of um, one-on-ones with students as far as academics. So um, I do meet with them to talk about their future and their grades, where they want to be, what they need to have as their goals. Um, And throughout the day, things things, um, about... Nine times out of ten will pop up. Um, you know, somebody has a broken heart, um, something's going on at home. Um, and so you really have to figure out what you what you can and can't um, stop and what you have to reschedule, what you can kind of push back and do maybe after school. Um, but anytime a student comes in, um, especially in my office, the door is open. So you just come in, have a seat, and right. we'll tackle the problem as much as possible. How, how, so. do, how do you... How do you know when it's the boyfriend, girlfriend, drama, for lack of a better term, versus something much more serious that's, this requires me to rearrange what I had scheduled. This is this is a serious issue. Kendra, I mean, kind of how do you... Just definitely a conversation with the student. You have to meet with them, um, talk to them, see what's going on, ask, you know, specific questions, and then you just kind of go from there, you know, you see if you can deal with it as your as their counselor there on the spot or do they need to be referred um, to someone else or do the parents need to be called so it's just based on that conversation to know where um, that's going to go because they they show up with all kinds of issues when I say like literally show up to school and and we and, and again I keep referring to those that aren't in our in, a, in education settings um, Many people only have their own history, their own past, or their own current situation to compare to. So if you haven't been in a, in a large urban environment, Taylor High School has over 3,000 students. It's a small city. Matter of fact, it's a mid-sized city in the state of Texas. And all the things that happen in a city happen and are exacerbated in a, in a school district with a bunch of teenagers. Your, your role, while it's broad, and I know Tyra just kind of which is very high level hit on what your responsibilities are. When you get down to it uh, on the mental health issue, do you find yourself seeing an increase in that that's taken more of your time to not do these other things or and then give me some give some evidence or some what's what some thoughts about about that? Well, definitely. I've seen I've seen it more and more. Um, and then, yes, you do have to be able to prioritize because you do have to stay late sometimes. And that's OK, because during the day we're here for the students and their needs. So depression and suicide attempts have risen tremendously over the last couple of years. So addressing those issues have been top priority for us there at Taylor. Well, all the counselors. Right. Um, so definitely you just have to prioritize. Like she said earlier, um, I get there early, you know, I try to set my day up, <laughs> and nine times out of ten, it doesn't happen like I expected it to happen. But that's okay. Right. You know, that is okay. So, so do, you, do you find when you're having conversations with the, uh, the student that walks in who you've, you've, through your professional judgment, this is a serious, something, something's happening here and I need to involve myself. Talk about how you've been prepared for that, how you've, and, and just be honest, I mean, whether you don't feel prepared for it, you do feel, feel prepared for it, and then what are signs that you've been trained or you've just, through your own professional experiences, what are you looking for to, to make that determination? Is this just day-to-day drama or is this something serious? Lori? Um, a lot of times when the kids come in, um, it's hard to gauge where they are in their 
uh, in their situation. So sometimes a kid comes in and, and it starts off as just a nice little, you, you think it's a, a nice little problem of I just broke up with my boyfriend or I got a bad grade. And it does, um, through the, just the questioning and, and having them feel comfortable with you and letting them know that you're here to support them no matter what the situation is, um, it does open up the door for them to kind of let you in on what's really going on behind the scenes and why they're um, acting in a way why they're having an issue with with the current problem and so um, many times the students will come in for um, a breakup that's a a big one this year Um, but a lot of the kids as adults we think a breakup it's fine you're young you know you'll you'll bounce back everything's fine but the relationships that these kids are in um, are almost it's almost like a marriage Um, So breakups are very, very hard for them. It's almost like the end of the world for a lot of the kids because they don't understand that it's okay to go out with someone. It's also okay to break up and things will get better, but you can't just say that to a kid. So um, having them feel comfortable and even if it takes um, a couple minutes or an hour, you have to make sure the the child is okay when they're leaving um, and that they have something to help them cope with what's going on, not just tell me your problem and then you can go. So we, we sit with them for quite a while. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, any, any given situation is going to where you think, you know, you're going to be with this kid 30 minutes. It can take an extreme amount of time just to get them back together for one, in, one independent student. But when you look at the girlfriend-boyfriend scenarios, what you'll find is that usually it's dealing with another student that's on the campus. So then you're dealing with conflict resolution that you're having to um, address more than one student, um, more than just a student that's in front of you, but other students involved in that situation as well. So it's, it can be quite time-consuming. Yeah, and if there's adults out there that are laughing at this, like they're kids, right? They're kids. That's true. They are. But there are many, many, it's a microcosm of society. And you're, I never, I've been in this business 34 years and I never thought of it the way you just described it, Lori, in terms of, it's almost like a a divorce. I mean, it's almost particularly for students who come from backgrounds where uh, they don't have a whole lot of people that they can trust and count on. So. Which leads me to this. I want to kind of, kind of move into the direction of of, of um, students, the students you deal with, the things they that they do bring from whether it's home or society or a combination of, of, of all this, and then w- where you see the counseling role changing as it relates to this true psychiatrist slash psychologist slash social counselor slash guy, you know, all the things that go into that. What I, as a superintendent, have asked Tyra and indirectly are asking counselors is to is uh, not do a better job. I don't mean it that way, but to get to become more skilled in recognizing what are these behaviors that may lead to a student either inflicting harm upon themselves or or others. And and I'm curious about the seriousness of those conversations. And you made a comment earlier, Kendra, about uh, calling in assistance, whether it's communities and schools or some of the social networks that we have. But at that moment in time, it's that child's in front of you. Talk, talk about where you see your role going in that direction and, and what types of training do you not feel comfortable that you have to deal with those serious issues? Uh, A-Leaf has been pretty good about providing us with training um, outside of my schooling when it comes to us, you know, dealing with students with different concerns. 
Um, when a student comes to me, yes, we have to probe and, and ask certain questions in order to figure out what we need to do and the type of conversation that we need to have with these students. And then ALEAF also does a great job with having different resources on campus to where um, if we're not able to assist the student, we do have someone who could help with psychological issues or issues at home that could provi- provide them with clothing or um financial assistance, right? So it's, it's these serious conversa- conversations. Like when it comes to suicide, we drop everything, right? A teacher will call us and say, hey, a student said um, they want to kill themselves. Or a student just come in our office crying and, you know, through questioning, you know, you kind of figure out, oh, you know, um, I don't feel like living. A lot of stuff stems from home, things going on at home. Um, peer pressure and social media. Social media is so big, and our students are having to deal with that. And so my role as a counselor, yes, um, I see myself dealing with more of those issues than just the school issues, meaning the grades and the credits, me having to address them for these social issues, these psychological issues. So it's definitely evolving, and I'm ready for it, and I'm glad Elif is preparing us for it. Um, but yes, it's, it's definitely changing. One thing that I do see, though, that is a concern um, is the number of kids. Um, and I think the difference is we're more prepared for the mental health concerns. When kids um, need some assistance or support in the moment for something they're upset about that's affecting their daily life, that deals with them making effective decisions and being able to move forward. But when you start dealing with mental illness, which is a different level. and Define, I, Yeah, talk about the difference. There is a difference. Um, and a lot of times people use the word interchangeably, but it's not. Um, mental illness is more about those everyday situations where someone becomes overwhelmed, stressed out, which can happen to any one of us at any given time. And will ebb and flow between, you know, feeling okay. It's kind of like physical health. Mm-hmm. And, you know, sometimes your physical health is good, but if you catch something, all of a sudden you're not feeling well. Well, when you encounter some specific events in your life, it can cause you to not feel well, so emotionally. And sometimes it affects your ability to think and process, and it affects your ability to interact effectively with others. That's more dealing with the mental health concerns. When you're starting to talk about people with disorders that are psychological and behavioral in nature, then you're starting to talk about mental illness. And that particular student, and in some cases staff as well, um, requires um, some specific type of therapy or medication. And that's where it's a little beyond what we can provide. And we refer students out for those specific um, services and instances. Um, One of the things that I have um, noticed recently is an increase in mental illness concerns. And if it's not the student, it's someone within the family, specifically parents that they're dealing with, and if the parent has mental illness issues, then it's going to impact the student. And how do you prepare that student to then go home effectively and manage that? So you're having to teach them how to deal with that with a parent who typically is generally the caregiver. So the parent could be mentally ill, and that it causes mental health issues with the student, right? Right. And it's not always um, where it's treated. Yeah. Um, yeah. That's another yeah. thing. They don't always treat it. And we run into the same situation with some of our students who um, have mental illnesses. They don't always want to go and get them the help. 
and we'll go as far as we can, but when it becomes a danger to the student or to someone in our environment, we have to then, you know, follow the specific procedures for neglect. So I've been in education 34 years. Uh, you can go all the way back to the Columbine school shooting. And there were, the, there were shootings prior to that, but it seems like that was, uh, that was the, the, the baseline, if you mm-hmm. will, the, that we looked at this differently because of the, the quantity of, of casualties. And, and, and you can measure every one, every school shooting, higher ed or K-12, through the most recent one, which was last week in, in the Midwest, and almost every time someone could say, you know what, I knew something wasn't right, or he said something, or he did something, and Kendra said something, or may have said, I, don't, I can't remember who said this, but uh, with social media, back when I was in school, if I was, you know, kids my age, if they were talking about death or not wanting to live, they were doing it on their book or in a notepad, or they drawing pictures. They weren't doing it on social media; didn't have it, obviously. So it was more, it was more possible to to recognize. Now with social media, you obviously, unless you're you, you don't know that. Lori, has, has that that social media and, and and trying to find the needle in the haystack for the kid who may be willing to do something harmful? What what is that like, and how has that changed your 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 job? Um, social media, for sure, is a game changer in counseling because a lot of the kids. Um, rely on social media as their counselor in a way because they they'll put something on there and then they'll see what the reaction is from their friends and other people um, and I've noticed that um, I've, I've dealt with a couple of students who have put uh, that you know they don't they don't really want to live or things are just rough and um, I don't see it but their friends do and they come to me and tell me hey so and so put that on there. I really need to go talk to him. We'll pull them or pull you know him or her, and it's it's difficult to um, at first see if it's if it's true or not because a lot of a lot of times the kids they'll put it on there and and we take it serious no matter what. But it's hard sometimes. They're like, oh well, I just had a rough day and I just right. I didn't know what to do, and <laughs> and so you don't ever want to not take anything serious, but sometimes it, it is difficult with social media how quickly um, the fire spreads. And, and in about two minutes from first period to the end of second period, there's about six or seven kids that come to your office about, my friend, my friend, my friend, look what they put. And so it's it's uh, it, it, it makes it hard. Yeah. <laughs> it makes it difficult. Yeah. yeah. So does the see something, say something? Because essentially that's what's happening, right? Mm-hmm. It is. You've got their own peers seeing something or reading something mm-hmm. right. and then saying something. Right. Now the, the next part of that is doing something. Right. Which is where, where, where you guys come in. So, so if I'm a, if I'm a, you know, if I'm a, a person who's listening to this and, and I've got kids in school, if, if I had students in high school, what am I looking for? You know, because every mom and dad, no matter what their situation is, um, there's no way that my son's, thinking that, doing that. There's no way my daughter's thinking that, doing that. What are the messages from your perspective that the hard, truthful, crucial conversations that the moms and dads out there are, or the friends, or the church congregation where many of our children have large social lives? What are the keys? What, are we, what, are, what should I be looking for or listening for? One of the first things I think that's important is they need to be looking. <laughs> um, a lot the of times, you're about? yes, mm-hmm. parents need to look. A lot of times they want to give their children freedom, and a lot of times they think that when their child is well adjusted 
um, academically and they're doing fine in school, that it doesn't mean that in any given moment with the right circumstances that that can't change. And uh, what parents don't always see their child from the perspective of how they actually handle themselves with their peers. And they will be totally taken off guard when they find out certain instances that can occur because you'll tell them this is the scenario with what happened and your child my child wouldn't I can't imagine my child would say that and he tells me everything yes you know he doesn't but um but kids with their peers and that influence from their peers is very different from what they'll see as a parent so they have to be involved and they have to get in and see what their kids are doing because there's so much out there with social media to be fearful of. And I don't think people should shut down. I think social media is a very good, you know, avenue for students to communicate and to learn. But they just need to be very careful with what they're being exposed to. So what do you say to the parent? And you may have had this, but what do you say to the parent? who says, well, I just believe in giving my son or daughter their freedom. They'll learn on their own or they'll learn lessons. or I don't have time to to troll their Facebook or Instagram or whatever Twitter accounts? Freedom is good, definitely, but you also have to have some type of control. And so being their friends on social media, kind of seeing what they're posting is a good thing. Um, but some behaviors that they could also see is changing eating habits. Um, if a student's staying in their room a lot, um, not wanting to be in, in around the family, those are just some behaviors that they could kind of see in case there's, you know, their child may be going through something and not vocalizing it um, to their parent. Kids are not typically going to answer the question, how are you doing, right? Every kid in the history of the world has told their parents, I'm doing fine. Fine. Mm-hmm. Okay. You have to ask specific right. questions. Right. So yes. talk about that. I mean, what, and, and, and again, I keep referring to the parent who doesn't have the skills or the expertise to do this. What, are you, what types of probing questions <laughs> would you, would you ex- suggest? How are you getting along with your friends? Have you made any friends at school? You know, tell me their names. Well, how do you get along? Tell me what you know about your friends, you know. And you just ask them specific questions about those interactions. Because every now and then you will, I've learned it from my own child, every now and then you'll find out something you didn't know. Every time I found out something that was going on with my child, it was because of probing questions. And eventually it came out because otherwise she wouldn't have told me anything. So you ask them about those interactions, ask them about their teachers, how they feel about their teachers, how they feel about their classes. You know, what are they interested in doing and being involved in? You know, what do you do at school during lunchtime? You know, so you can find out, are you isolated or are you interacting with others? What are those interactions like? Things like that so you can know how they, you know, go about their day and how they function within that day. Or just having conferences with their teachers just to see how they're doing in their classes. Even though their grades may reflect, you know, that they're doing good, you still kind of want to know how they're interacting with their peers. Once you've established a baseline of behaviors from a kid, you can tell when they start deviating. And if you're around them every day, mm-hmm. when they start deviating from that. Uh, I know going back to the parent perspective, uh, um, I was told a long time ago about this being friends with your child versus being their parent. And there's a very, 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 very thin line. Although the older I've gotten, the darker it's gotten. In other words, I see it much better now. My kids are grown and and doing their own thing. But this this notion of the parent wanting to be their friend, their 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 child's friend, versus their their parent, 
Do you do you see that in our environment, in your environment? Is, is that is that a common thing, Lori? You... It is. It is. I see it a lot, and um, a lot of times when the parents uh, are friends with their child, it's not a bad thing. Um, we, we want them to have that interaction in a good relationship, but there does there needs to be um, a little bit of a, a hard line that's put in, you know, put on the floor. Like this is this is what I'm still expecting from you having. Communication and having a relationship with your child sometimes are two really different things. Um, we all want to have a good relationship with our children. We just need to make sure that they're also um, given the right, the right material, the right uh, perspective. Yes, yes. So we don't we don't want to tell them what to do because that's when a lot of times they bounce back and say, I'll do what I want. Um, But we just kind of have to guide them through, okay, well, I'll let you make this decision, but just think about it. If you do this, what's going to happen? If you do that, what's going to happen? You don't need a degree to ask those kind of questions or to sit with your child. It's just being there and being present and um, waking up every day and and saying hi to your child and at night say goodnight and have dinner together or lunch or a snack or um, just that time, believe it or not, even if it's in silence, it does make a huge impact with the kids. And consistently, right? I mean, you yes. can't do yes. it once every right. three weeks. No, no, it's got to be you know yeah, at least three be, to four times a week. It's got to be mean. a habit, right? It's got to <laughs> yeah. be part of the part of their life and part of their routine. Because if you're gonna, I would I would think, correct me if I'm wrong, but if you're gonna have a child who's experiencing some of these mental illnesses or mental health issues, it that's where you would pick up on it. Even as a parent, who you would think would see their kid every day, but if you're the kid who goes and stays in the room all the day, watch TV with your child. Yeah. One thing about television is it is a depiction of the real world in some cases. Mm -hmm. And if you watch certain shows, certain different recurring themes will manifest. And you can sit and ask questions surrounding that. What do you think about that? And just see how your child sees and views the world. Because then you can have those conversations and in some cases guide them without them even knowing that that's what you're doing by just having relevant conversation with them about, you know, what watch TV with them. It's just that simple. So we're getting close to uh, the holiday season and, you know, a lot of a lot of emotions fly through. I mean, people that have adults who have lost a family member, a parent throughout that year is in many cases, this is the first kind of milestone date since that loved one has been gone or whatever's happening or the child who's living in a dysfunctional family and understands that their Christmas or their holiday season may be not, not nearly as not nearly as uh, happy as they would want it. What are you guys doing? Is it, do, do y'all do anything differently around this time of the year? Or it, do you pay attention to, aniv- not anniversaries, but do you, when I, when I was talking, I had, a, had an opportunity to talk to the principal of Columbine when that happened. And, and 19 years later, it happened almost 20 years ago, he says, to this day, every April, the day that that occurred, every April the 13th or the 21st, every April 21st, it just hits me like a ton of bricks, you know. And he says, so there's these anniversary dates or these milestone dates. What, what, do, we, what do you guys do for that, knowing that, that this is an emotional time of the year? Um, okay, so for they're pointing point <laughs> each other. You take that one. You take that one. Um, at Taylor right now, uh, December we did the holiday blues as our topic for um, lunch. So uh, throughout the month uh, in December, we basically have um, little uh, pa- not pamphlets, but um, just little guidelines on what to do to um, cope with holiday stress. Uh, whether it's losing a loved one, whether it's grades, whether it's uh, stress at home, um, just how to handle different techniques. 
Um, and we we sit basically at a, a table, walk around uh, to the you know to the lunch tables and introduce ourselves because um, we're all. Uh, we have different cohorts, so we have a certain group of kids that we see. So just making ourselves visible throughout lunch uh, when all the kids are out there and letting them know that this this is a time of year where, you know, we, we do kind of reflect on how 2018 has been and right. what's going on. And, and uh, a lot of times just knowing that if they don't know who to go to, they at least have a paper or they at least have seen a face that they can reach out and, and let us know that we are here and that we're not just, you know, a counselor behind a desk all day, that we're visibly out there for the kids. So that's that's something definitely that we're doing at Taylor. And I've had two students recently come and talk to me about the holiday and how they're feeling about the holiday. And we just sat around and talked about what the holiday meant to them and how grateful they are about where they are, their living, and what they have. And so that kind of changed things for them. And so it was it was great conversation. So just them talking about it. Yes. Yes, I think a lot of people feel that, um, especially when they've lost loved ones, that the best thing to do is just avoid dealing with it. And actually, a lot of times when they address it with their children, it makes them feel better. It's kind of cathartic for everyone in the family. So I think it's a good thing for them to realize because when you're sitting in isolation, feeling like I'm the only one dealing with this, and then you realize that everyone in your family and you're all going through this together, a lot of times it's more beneficial for the student. Most people that are listening to this, if they're not aware, they're, we're a very diverse district. And I don't have to tell y'all, <laughs> uh, but we have anywhere across the district, anywhere from 85 to 95 different languages spoken, which translates into we have about 85 to 95 different cultures. And it's not just about race or ethnicity or skin color or language spoken. It's just ways in which people believe and what they believe. So how do you how do you manage that? Because you've got different cultures. I mean, you can break it down to something as simple as language and race. I mean, but that's not it. That it's, it's bigger than that. How do y'all manage that? I mean, how do you, how do you, or do you manage that? You just do the best you can and figure it out? I mean, what's the... We ask the students questions about um, to help understand how they function. Every kid that we deal with, and I still, the funny thing is, it seems like, but I still deal with kids even though I'm at the district level. um, I go on campuses and usually I deal with the more um, at-risk situations. But we still just go in and have conversations um, with the kids so that we can know how does this work in your family and how, what, what concerns do you have surrounding this specific topic or issue? Because it is going to be different depending on the culture of the family. And once they tell us, well, my family believes a specific thing, then we then customize and make sure that, you know, we deal independently with that specific student. Do you find that difficult? Not at all. I mean, there's that at times... um it could be overwhelming, mm-hmm. um, but definitely not difficult because we do want to give the chance for the kids to explain, you know, how they're they're different. And, and it's not really the difference. It's just you're you're special. I mean, you yeah. know, everybody kind of has their yeah, own right. uh, their own picture perfect, uh, you know, view of things. And for us, it could be something and for the kids it's something else. But um, I enjoy listening to the kids and sometimes the parents come in as well. Right. <laughs> you know, they, they give us a lot of education on their background, which is fantastic. And Lori and I are both A Leaf grads, so yes. we're very familiar with this area. So you know the yes. you know the drill, right? You know the culture, yes. But one of the things that I think we do have to 
be aware of is dealing with the parents sometimes to help them to understand now that they're in a new culture because in some cases they haven't been here long. And sometimes some of the things that they may, um, some ways in which maybe they discipline their children um, may not always um, be may not be appropriate. So we have to help them. By some standard, right? (laughs) We have to help them understand that that can get you into trouble. You can't do that. The the kids assimilate a lot quicker than the parents do. They really do. And and kids will learn that, no, my friends don't deal with this or my friends don't do that. And helping parents to understand the different cultures, I think, gets to be more of a concern so that they can understand that when their kids deal with their peers and they're hearing the difference that sometimes that becomes a, a point of contention. How many students are you responsible for, Lori? Uh, well, I'm with CTE, so I believe it's roughly about 1,200 kids at Taylor. So, so one person is responsible for about 1,200? <laughs> not, not me. They have their own counselor know, as well, but <laughs> about 1,200. Dan, what about yourself? About 400. So on, on average, about 400. Mm-hmm. Is that fair to say? Yes. So yes. we got one adult. I also want, people, I want to put this in context for people out there. We got one highly trained, skilled adult trying to take on 400 individuals. High school. High school age students going through all kinds of changes who come from multi, multi different cultures and backgrounds and languages and Every one of them have a story to tell. And um, and the reason I bring that up is because there's a, uh, you know, if you're out there listening to this and you have any impact or any influence as it relates to the way in which the state of Texas or the federal government funds public education and counseling in particular, uh, I would argue, and I, I don't think y'all would disagree with me, but I would argue that if we're truly going to, we, the royal we society, not just educators, but if we are going to... Um, if we mean what we say when we say that's enough, no more school shootings, no more teen suicides, no more um, erratic behaviors that, that we had signs of had we, you know, someone been there to see it, um, then, then, then we're gonna, a society's going to have to pay for it. And f- to hold a counselor responsible for 400 or 1,200 or whatever the number, I mean, there's some that's six and 700 kids and some campuses across districts don't have any. Well, I don't even And that's the reality. Right. So so for us as a society to expect uh, a school system to recognize and then address these mental health issues and to put that on the shoulders of of a counselor rather they're current technology counselors or counselors who are dealing with the general population uh, is is almost it's almost laughable. And if it weren't so tragic and scary, it would be laughable, but it's it's not. And and the purpose of this conversation, and we could probably, and I really could, I, I could talk a long time about this. Not that I could talk about it, but I could, I'd like the conversation because of what y'all are tasked with doing and, and, and how you go about your, your day. Um, you know, there was a, a tragic issue that happened last night. And I know the counselors at that particular high school, along with Miss Walker here, are dealing with that. Everybody went to bed last night. Going to wake up on a Monday morning, one week before the Christmas break, and they wake up to this. It happens, um, in all honesty, every year. Yep. Every year we have something tragic the last week of school. And every school system does. If you're large enough, you know we got close to fifty thousand students, and when if you put fifty thousand random people in a society, things are going to happen, good and bad. I'm curious, um, you know, listening to what I just said. I said that on purpose. One, because I want you to know that. Two, I want the public to know that. 
but where where do you see the most um, the, the the greatest need to help you do what we're asking you to do? When I when I say we, what Tyra's asking you to do, what I'm asking you to do, what the board, but more generally, what our society is asking you to do to prevent the Parklands from ever happening, to prevent the Santa Fe's. Is it is it more people? Is it? I mean, talk about your own personal beliefs, and you're not gonna you say what you want to say. I don't. Just talk about what you think. And uh, Kendra, I'll start with you. Okay. I'll let you start that mm-hmm. if you don't mind. No, um, I think just having these relationships with the students is very important. Getting to know our students um, beyond just the counselors, the teachers as well, um, and just all staff, getting to know our students. Um, sometimes students are crying for help, and because they don't have anyone they can talk to besides just at home, you know, things like that happen. So if we develop these relationships, then they have an adult they could talk to. Um, so definitely relationships. So what do you need? What do you need to help with that? I mean, I agree with you. I think we we talk about relationships all the time in this district. What, what, is there something missing? Again, I'm going back. Is it is it lack of a t- time to deal with 400 different students or? Um, some, sometimes, but no, because I have an open door policy, so they can always come. So when I'm meeting with them, then I do ask questions about what's going on in their life um, beyond just their grades and credits. I do ask personal questions about what's going on. That's my way of kind of getting to to know them beyond, you know, the classroom work um, and just developing that relationship. No, that's... I know you, you're sitting there. She's frowning because she says, <laughs> yeah. but it's the truth, Sorry. right? No, no. If it wasn't true, you wouldn't be saying it so often. It is the truth. It can't be said enough. So the, the counselor that walks up to you and says, you know, I agree with you, Kendra, but I got 900 kids in some small district in West Texas, mm-hmm. and I'm the only one. Or I'm not I'm at a school. I don't even have a counselor for whatever reason. And when you look at a one, even a one to 400 ratio, in all honesty, if you're looking at having kids that are sitting in front of you who have these serious issues, there is no way to do everything that's required of you and be able to spend the right amount of time. What she said is exactly right. We need to be able to have those relationships so that kids feel comfortable coming. Because think of the ones that are coming. How many are not? Okay. How many are having those needs, but they don't have someone that they can come to and they aren't taking the time to talk to someone. And when you talk about a one to 400 ratio at mostly every elementary, you're looking at a one to 800 to a thousand ratio. And what people are thinking about, yes, the major issues and concerns happen in high school because of the age of the students and what they're starting to encounter. But now that I do pre-K all the way through 12, the major concerns are at elementary where we need to build those intrinsic skills within students so that as they grow socially, when they get to high school, they have that resiliency to be able to handle and cope with life. Because if we're expecting to start dealing with those kids at high school and to get what we need done and to build those intrinsic values so that they can actually handle themselves appropriately, then we're way behind the mark on that. It's no different than academic skills, right? Right. You don't start math taking pre-calculus. Exactly. So I think you've just kind of named our ne- one of our next episodes because we're going to we're going to take the approach from the elementary side which I, I can't even relate to trying to deal with all those little guys and all the the issues that they're dealing with and and their their inability to 
to to, to talk about it. You know, they want to, they just don't don't know how. Right. I'm gonna, Lori. I'm gonna go back to the question about kind of okay. what what do you think? <laughs> what do you, what what you know if you know what what's the the possible solution to do for us to do a better not necessarily you at Taylor, mm-hmm. but just in general. Um, ideally, um, a smaller ratio for students counselor. I mean, that's that's I four hundred is definitely too much, but we handle it. Um, but the more contact you have um, in a small two hundred to one, um, you're able to more uh, better introduce yourself, better have those. Uh, meaningful com- uh, conversations um, allow them the chance to understand how communication works. Um, there's a lot of uh, a lack of communication between. I don't want to say officials, but they see counselors and and APs as more of the official. I can't really talk to them. I have to have an appointment. That's why we have an open door policy at Taylor. So it's it's having. Um, that communication with the kids and understand what's a positive communication, what's negative communication, how to reach out, um, what to do in certain uh, situations, how to cope. I think a big thing with our kids is um, we would love to teach our kids how to cope, Um, whether it's a good thing or a bad thing. Just coping mechanisms are just we really need that with our kids. But I mean, idealistically, yeah, like one, one to one ratio one to one, would be great. Right. <laughs> Let me be responsible for one. And also looking at the role and what the state of Texas puts out some different things that they feel the role should be and what the role should not be. And every year there is a senator, I think Lucio, who puts mm-hmm. out a bill. We we love him. <laughs> We love him because he puts out a bill that basically talks about what the counseling role should look like. And and the ratio. And the ratio, yeah. you know. And it makes a difference because having a lot more counselors, if they aren't doing what they're supposed to do um, and they're doing a lot of administrative tasks, then you aren't changing anything. And I think if people could quantify the actual difference a counselor can make and how well adjusted a student will be to be able to come to school and be prepared to learn, because we're focused on that end result, which is the learning. But if they're not coming to school prepared to learn and those immediate needs are being met, then we're still just basically walking in a circle. And it it goes back to what one of you said earlier about the, the prevention you know, the, the whole mental health issue and being able to identify, you don't necessarily have to know whether it's an illness, a health, you don't, you just know something's not right, mm-hmm. whether someone brought it to your attention or you noticed it. So, well, I am, uh, I'm going to take this opportunity to, to thank the two of you, well, really the three, but for those that are, that are working every single day with, with the kids on behalf of, I don't know how many hundreds of thousands of counselors there are across the state of Texas, but what's being asked of you, what's being demanded of you? expected of you is nothing short of where success versus failure hinges, right? I mean, there's a lot of other people that have an impact. I know teachers have a tremendous impact. I know uh, there's a variety of, of, of positions in the education world that in, impact, and every kid is impacted by someone different. But it just seems to me that when you get beyond the actual act of teaching and learning and you get into the being a human being, being a person, trying to help raise a little boy to be a young man, a little girl to be a young lady, and, all, and then to be an adult. A lot of that has been just placed on y'all's lap, on your shoulders, and said, do it. Good luck. And then we tend, again, society tends to fuss when it doesn't happen. And, and for that, as a superintendent, I'm grateful. But as a, a, just a member of our society, I'm extremely grateful. And, and we didn't talk about A-Leaf a lot, and we could. But, I mean, we've tried to do as much as we could to, 
to support what you guys are doing. And I don't, I mean, it's because you have people like Tyra fighting for you and, and, and trying to make the case for, for what we're, what, what y'all are attempting to do. And if you want it, if we want it done, then we need to give you the resources to do it. So thank you for, 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 for what you guys do and be sure and tell your colleagues that I'm saying thank you to them as well. Not just at Taylor, but across this district. It's appreciated and it doesn't go unnoticed. And if I could go one to one or one to 10 or one to 20, I'd do it tomorrow, <laughs> but I can't. Um, one thing I do, just in case we have anybody out there that's listening that's in a position, um, we have a lot of initiatives that come through dealing with mental health and mental health support. But one thing that I have seen in meeting with um, some of the different institutions is that we don't always include the right people and have right. the people at the table who are the practitioners who are in the trenches doing the work. And I think if more institutions did that, then we would have the actual constituents who are going to benefit from the services. We develop the right initiatives. And sometimes we have initiatives, but they don't necessarily align with exactly what, you know, what we're trying to accomplish. So um, having the right people at the table um, is important. In other words, ask us our opinion, right? Ask us our opinion. A well, lot of decisions are made yep. for public ed, but then there may not be any public ed people at the table when the decisions are being made. So it would just be nice um, for that to occur. No, it's it's true. I mean, I'm guilty of it. I mean, we're there's times where I say, you know what, we need to do this, this, and this. And that's not <laughs> this, this, and this is not what is going to help you do what's asked of you. And also funding mandates. Yeah. When we have these new initiatives and mandates that come out, a lot of times it's an excellent idea. It's going to be beneficial for students to get this information, but just remember who's going to do that. And when we add more and more on top of one individual um, entity's plate, then what we're doing is basically diversifying them to the point where are they truly being effective right. at anything. So we have to, at some point, when people are coming up with great ideas, and I do think that we've been coming up with some re really great ideas across the state of Texas, but someone has to do it. And there are only so many non-classroom non staff on a campus. I would I would say this that that the everything you just said is true. I mean, there's there's a lot to to be considered, and I think it's going to be considered. Yeah. Lori wants one counselor for every kid. <laughs> one counselor for kid. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we're gonna we're gonna end. I'm gonna end by wrap this up. I do believe that the 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 mental health issues that you guys are having to deal with is going to be front and center during the 2019 legislative session in Austin. I really do. It's now a part of the school safety and security conversation. That's never been a part of the conversation. It's always been about hardening the schools, metal detectors and wands and more police officers and higher walls and all that kind of stuff. When in reality, some people are finally realizing that you don't need all that if you can stop it and be preventive. Not just the year before it happens, but maybe in elementary school, whenever these things start manifesting themselves. I think, I think there's going to be some help on the way. Uh, we'll do everything we can do to help that help get to you guys. Uh, in, in the right way so that's actually stuff that's meaningful to you and helpful. So thank you again for everything you guys do, and thank you all for participating in this. hope you found it a good use of your time. Kiyoko Weirich has, has joined us, and Ms. Weirich is a, uh, uh, works in A-Leaf and specializes, if that's the right term, spends a, all of her professional time dealing with mental health issues as it relates to some of our students. So, Kiyoko, thank you for, for, for being a part of this conversation of 
um, mental health as it relates to the safety of, of, of school children. Thank you. Thank you for having me. You're, you bet. <laughs> so, um, you know, in today's, as, as I mentioned, as we've been talking about with the counselors, there's a uh, there's been a spotlight shined. Uh, it seems as though on the mental health, mental illness issues of, of school age children, you know, uh, the high school age gets a lot of attention. But as was discussed earlier, there's a there's a glaring need to, to, to address it in the uh, earlier ages. Yeah. Uh, so if you don't mind, just real quickly, you just, you know, you talked about your passion for this topic and this, this, this is something that you, this is what you do and mm-hmm. you, you love it. I can see in your <laughs> eyes. <laughs> so talk a little bit about wh- wh- where you got here, how you got here to this point, And then okay. let's talk specifically about your view of mental health as it relates to, to our children and what are things we should be doing and looking for. Okay. Um, well, I got my master's degree from U of H, go Cougs. There you go. Um, and I specialize in the mental health um, component of that. And when I was interning, I interned at Memorial Hermann Hospital. Got a lot of great experience from there. But fresh out of graduate school, I started working at Harris Health. Well, it was MHMRA then, now it's Harris Health now. That was the best experience ever starting my career out. I was able to get a lot of experience, learn about the resources here in Houston. I'm from Michigan, so I needed to learn that. I needed to see what's out in the community, where are people going, where is the need at. And so having that experience, having that exposure um, from MHMRA was the starting point of to where I am now. Um, leaving there, I started uh, on a crisis team, and I did almost three years there. It was nice. It was never a dull day, but I wanted more. I wanted to be able to, I love kids. That's something that I just, I really love the babies. I call mm. them the babies. Mm. <laughs> um, but I wanted to follow the kids. I wanted to be able to see where the work is going because we get them in the emergency rooms and we see what the need is. Do they need psychiatric treatment or are they okay to go home and follow up outpatient? But that wasn't enough for me. And I wanted to see, okay, what happens when they come from the hospital or what happens when they come from the outpatient um, appointments? What's next? What's next for them? And a lot of times what I was getting was families really not being educated. They didn't really know what was going on. They didn't really know what to do next as it pertains to making sure their kid or their loved one was mentally stable. And so that was something that I really wanted to, to help, and I knew it started in the school system. We would get kids as young as five sometimes coming in with behavioral issues and their parents not knowing what's wrong with my kid, what do I do? So I wanted to start advocating for the families. I wanted to start helping them, teaching them, and showing them what to do. And so when this position came available here at A-Leaf, and I was like, yes, this is a perfect opportunity for me. And so I applied, and I got it. <laughs> so let's talk just briefly about your um, about your perception, not your perception, but your your thoughts on the parents, because we, we, we spent a lot of time talking about that earlier as well. Just parents are, they're, they're, they're just, and sometimes they're just at a loss. Yeah. Uh, so when you when you start talking to parents about here are signs, you know, we're coming up on the holiday season, on the Christmas season, and mm-hmm. it's a very emotional time, as we've talked about. Yeah. What are the, what are you, what advice or what are you asking parents to, to be on the lookout if you suspect that your child is is experiencing some of these issues that may lead to something more su- su- serious. What what is your guidance and advice to those those family members? I think in your earlier segment, um, I heard a lot of great ideas, and I agree with everyone. Um, 
getting to know your kid, man, like spending that time, investing that time with them. When you know your child, you would know when they're like not themselves, you know, when they're coming home and going to the room, not talking to you, you know, kind of withdrawing themselves. Why? You know, get to know your kids, asking them why. Hey, what's going on? How was your day at school? Um, did something happen at school? You know, get a chance to know them. I always tell the parents, hey, get to know their, 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 um, their teachers because they can help you, you know, seeing is there a shift in their behavior? Is there a decline in their grades? Um, are they not hanging with the same crowd they were once hanging with before? Was it a breakup? Because we talked about that before, right? <laughs> and their relationships are like, it's important. <laughs> it's important, right? It's more important <laughs> in some cases than adults. Right. Yeah. So, I mean, just really figuring out what was that trigger. And um, especially with the holiday coming up, I mean, a lot of people don't see it as a, a good time. And sometimes people look at it as like, that's not a good place for me. That, that's not a happy time for me. So really just finding that happy medium. And when I say that, it, I mean more like some people may not, Finding the happiest time of the year, but find out what makes them happy. What okay? What why is it not a happy time for you? And what would you like to see happen? You know, sometimes people like to force things mm-hmm. on people because, like, well, it's a good time for me, so it should be for you. But no, like sometimes you gotta respect that boundary and understanding. Like, what may be good for me may not be good for that next person. So, so the, the mentioned earlier the the almost every time there's ever been a a a teenage suicide mm-hmm. or a school shooting or something as tragic as those those two issues, someone always could say, you know what, I thought he or she were capable of that based on some evidence or some. What are we learning nowadays or what's the social, excuse me, the mental health profession? What are, what are y'all learning or what have you learned anything new that would allow more action to be taken so that we don't stand back and sit back and say, you know what, I, that person, if anyone was going to ever do it, it was going to be him. Mm-hmm. Have we learned anything in the last 12 months that we didn't know already before? Are we doing anything different? I think what we're doing now is really educating our staff, you know, getting them to look at things a little bit different, um, the mindful thinking, uh, emotional intelligence component of things, just really get them to start looking at the students, not, I mean, yes, academically, but also outside of that. We're a team, you know, and it, we, it all takes a, it takes a family, it takes a, a, a community to come together to see what we can do best for our students. So I think a lot of the educating our staff, a lot of community resources, uh, involvement, and getting them to come into our, um, our district sometimes to kind of see what they can provide our staff and our students if it's needed. So that partnership with our community is, is important. You know, from your perspective where you're dealing with children who are having serious problems that, that uh, lead to a mental health Mm-hmm. As opposed to mental illness, and mm-hmm. as Walker earlier defined the two, are there are there things that you would that you would like to see school systems, whether it's a leaf, and please feel free to talk freely about this. Mm-hmm. Um, what are the school systems not doing right now, short of not spending money? Mm-hmm. But what are what's public education not doing that you would like to see more of that you think would be very helpful in the in the identification the and, and being able to, to, to prevent something from happening as opposed to react to it. One thing I would say, and this is kind of just looking at the different school districts, what I'm seeing is it's like a shortage of, of social workers. We don't have a lot of social workers in the school system. We have counselors, and but there's a very shortage of social workers. And, and, and the two are alike, but 
at the same time kind of different. We need more assessments in schools. We need to see, you know, um, kind of having that assessment maybe beginning of the year, mid-year, and then where they are at the end of the year. That can kind of give you a, a breakdown of how they started and how they're leaving. So we kind of can see if there's a shift at all and how we can help identify their needs at that point. So the assessment you're talking about is more of a mental a mental health assessment. As opposed to sitting down for another test, right? Right, right. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want you to, people go, oh, another test? Another test? That's what oh, drives no. half these kids to their mental problems, <laughs> right. the amount of testing. Yeah. So you have access to a lot of resources. I would, for the people that listen to this episode, I'd like to give you an opportunity to share some of those resources or some of the information that you would have, because we're going to do it. We're going to do as much as we can to, to, to make sure that parents have an opportunity to, to hear this. Okay. And hear from counselors and hear from experts in the field like yourself. Uh, what, where are the, where are the contacts, or what are the contacts, or what are the information you'd like for, for families to be aware of? I think, especially with the holiday coming up, if we can all just be mindful of our loved ones, our family, our friends. Um, if you guys see that this person is not themselves, that you may suspect suicidal, you know, suicidal behavior, homicidal um, behavior, meaning they want to hurt themselves or maybe someone else, if they are abusing drugs that associates with them having suicidal behaviors or homicidal behaviors, I definitely think you all should reach out to the community. There are various different hotlines. We have the suicide hotline, and that number is 1-800-SUICIDE. So, again, 1-800-784-2433. There's also a mobile crisis outreach team. Um, that number is 713 nine seven zero seven five two zero and then also typically each um, police department has a mental health unit so if a family feels that they are not safe transporting someone or getting that person to a safe place they can also reach um, the crisis team with the Harris County and that number is seven one three nine seven zero four six six four all right I'm going to ask you one time to go through those three numbers yes and just identify who it is and what mm-hmm. the number is. Okay. Just one more time. So the suicide hotline, that's 1-800-SUICIDE. Again, 1-800-784-2433. We have the mobile crisis outreach team. That's 713-970-7520. And then again, the HPD mental health unit, 713-970-4664. Ms. Weirich, thank you very much. The uh, the support that, that individuals like you, and there's not enough, just like the counselors, there's not enough of, of, of those with the skills and the uh, expertise that you guys have, considering the population that, that's in our school, in our state, just not in our school. There's 5.4 million students right. in the state of Texas, and every one of them have a story to tell. Mm-hmm. And some more severe than others, no doubt about it. Un- un- until we, until the state of Texas identifies this as a serious issue and funds it, I hate to make this about money, right? But but there's there's a certain element that is, is that money is involved. Mm-hmm. But more than that, it's the it's the work that you guys are doing. It's building relationships that was talked about earlier. Yeah. Thank you for your contribution and your and your role in ALEAF, and and we're glad to have someone who loves their job. Thank you. Thank you for having me. It's you a pleasure. Bet. Absolutely. <laughs> Thank you. Merry Christmas and happy holidays to you. Thank you. You too. This has been Impact Ed with HD Chambers and Aleaf ISD. We won't be recording another episode till 2019, so stay tuned and we'll we'll let you know what our list is for January. Thank you guys and have a great Christmas and happy holidays.